Hey guys, um, how's everybody doing? We'd uh, just like to uh, make an introduction here. We've got uh, Judy Rodman with us today. And Judy Rodman, um, we'll get more into what she's done in the past, but she wrote and recorded in the 80s um, some country music. <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, she um, has uh, some top 10 hits. And excuse me for being a little star truck today because, uh, I listened to her stuff back in the eighties and had a little crush on you, Judy, back then. So, um, I won't lie to hey, you. Man, I'm just glad you remember that music. I, <laughs> a good catalog. I like it. <laughs> I do. And so, uh, please, if you just like to take a few minutes to introduce yourself and tell us about, uh, your performances and, uh, what you've been up to these days. Well, just briefly, um, you know, I've been in the business, this crazy business of ours for over 50 years now. And I started, you know, I started really, really young, you know, before I was born. And No, really. <laughs> I started really young, though. And so I've been everything from a uh, jingle singer in Memphis to uh, a ba background singer uh, in Nashville when every, every record that was coming out of Nashville needed background singers. <laughs> so I got to work with all those great, great folks uh, that were doing that at the time. And then uh, I became an artist from that. I met Tommy West when I was doing some backgrounds for Ed Bruce uh, on his record, and Tommy was was producing him. So then MTM Records was created, so that's where I, I gained my artist uh, deal. So I had some really great success there and then totally vanished from the face of the earth because the, folded, the, the label folded, you know. Oh. And there's nothing like making it really big and being queen of the world to all of a sudden disappear and be, you know, dirt. <laughs> and no, and, and so it was quite a ride. But it, it the, the truth is, all of that stuff was really for more for now than it was for them. So because it gave me the experience and the street creds so that people can trust me. And I can actually say, you know, this actually does work on the huge stage, on the big stage. It works and I know how it works and, 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 uh, and all that. Uh, I also, uh, played guitar on, uh -huh. on stage with my, with my shows and all that. And then I became a songwriter and, you know, had some, uh, hit success, like one way ticket and all that. So I've had a, I've had both uh, one female vocalist of the year at the at the Academy of, of uh, uh, Academy of Country Music Awards and right. a number one a billionaire a, a billionaire as an heir it airs right uh, award with BMI for a number one so and then I dropped off the face of the earth as a songwriter so <laughs> <laughs> you know how these rabbit trails go. <laughs> But then again, you know, now I know that all that stuff again was so that I know what it takes to be a, a singer songwriter. I know how it helps you be a good writer to be a good singer. And then um, I started teaching about 20 years ago. And that, that long story short, I found out I had a real affinity for it because I 
have these diagnostic skills. I had had serious vocal damage in Memphis and recovered from that. And all of this stuff has, has come into uh, the re- being the reason that I know what I know and right. that I can help people in the business the way I can now. So I came up with a trademark method that I teach with. It's very effective if in, is in situ, as they say, uh-huh. you know, on stage and in the studio. And that's, uh, and, and then, and then in 19, uh, in uh, 2015, I actually recorded my another album with my husband, so it's come full circle. Really? So I keep I keep uh, I keep practicing what I preach and teach, so that I find out what works, even in a fresh, you know, fresh setting and all that. Right. So that's, that's who I am. Wow! And I <clears throat> I've just got to say, you know, your story um, it's probably been told by a hundred musicians that's gone through Nashville, right? I mean, and, and some of them, because uh, we, we've spoken with people, and um, some of them, even before the record got released, the label, especially in those days, that was just gone, folded. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the label would do things, labels would do things like they'd sign you just so nobody else would, yep. and then put you on a shelf. Thank God that didn't happen to me, but I do know our that did happen to and it's like the worst thing in the world that they signed with a major label that's so uh yeah it, it, there's a lot of, of uh, uh catch 22 about the way the business is now because you do have access to the internet you do have access to breaking bottle bottlenecks that didn't exist before right. but a lot of people are doing that so you have to figure out how to you know make your way through the noise and you help a lot of your students like set themselves apart as well right yes so I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about your past because I was watching some of your videos, you know, and uh, I saw a performance um, in 1986. It was at Farm Aid. Uh, Willie Nelson oh, yeah. was walking off the stage. <laughs> he gives you a kiss on the cheek just as he walked by. Did he have that smell as he walked by? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I think that that was Alan. That might have been Alan Bernard. I'm not sure. Oh, I didn't okay. go back and check that video, but that might have been the CEO of my of my label who was very happy that I did I made it through. Um, but I did meet Bob Dylan on the way back to the bus. Right. That's... <laughs> who really just, you know, he's yelled back from the back of the truck. He said, hey, Judy, I love your records. And I didn't know who it was. I said, yeah, oh, you're like, whatever. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, and then thanks, Alan, Alan was walking me back to Loretta's bus that I'd come in on, Loretta Lynn. Right. And he said, do you know who that was? And I said, no. And he said, Bob Dylan. And I'm like, yeah, sure, right. <laughs> He's not much but bigger than you. After, ah. after we got back to, to the label, uh, you know, he the next week, his he he had his publishing company send me five songs to consider recording. So I did and made a top ten for him on. Did. Uh, I, I've been had. Uh, uh, I'll be your baby tonight. I so saw, yeah, I, I saw that. <laughs> you um, I saw a later live recording where you did. Um, I'll be your baby tonight. I was really, right. really nice. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to talk about that show um, more about, I watched your hair and you had that 80s hair. Do you miss that? <laughs> bigger and bigger. No, you don't, right? The first thing they used to do when they signed you back in the 80s, uh-huh. uh, well, there were two things they did. One, perm your hair. And two, <laughs> go get you some sequins. And that might some. be true for men too. Yeah. <laughs> Especially back then in rock. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, no, I don't miss the permanent. I don't. 
Because my hair is straight as a stick. Okay, yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> Yours is like mine. Um, <laughs> so I, I have to ask that that was one of the that had to be a nightmare. Even though that had to be fantastic, you were in front of a lot of people. I remember Farm Aid 1986. Um, you know, people that were involved back then, Mellencamp and all those guys. Um, that was one windy stage. What and and the guy hands you the wrong microphone. You you may or may not remember that, but the guy handed you a microphone. Then he was like taking it back. You started singing, and then he took it away and he gave it you another one. Yeah, and you didn't miss a beat, which was fantastic. Um, how did you handle that? I mean, all that wind—it's blowing in your face. You can't right. hear. I mean, right. back then, no in-ear monitors. You just had floors yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Well, and the, uh, yeah, and I, I was a wedge girl, obviously, because they didn't they didn't have in ear monitors, so I was used to it. And if the sound sound really sucks, I used to walk out in front of the mains, and uh, and and hear the hear what was going on from there. And I just had to be careful not to point my mic at the mains, right. you know. But uh, there, I did both the first two farm mains. Uh, the first one, I think that might have been the first one uh, that you were seeing. And the nightmare started before that because L- Loretta, if it was that one, Loretta was supposed to introduce me and she forgot to. So I had to get up in front of 60,000 people and introduce myself. And it was either get on the horse and ride or go home. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just took the, took the, the, you know, it just made me more energetic. And I just, you know, and that that's one thing I teach people, you know, I teach people how to, you know, Focus through all the distractions that are inevitably going to come at you wherever situation you are and cut through it all and do what your job is. Right. And your and job is to make somebody sometimes. feel something. Right. So, and the second farm aid, uh, I've forgotten what that situation was. Uh, but again, the first farm aid, one of the coolest things was Carol Chase, who's now on the road with Leonard Skinner. It was an old buddy of mine and she was singing backgrounds with me or she came, she came with me or something that uh, for that, for that show. And we, we went to the ladies room before the show and there, you know, in her, like she just tapped off the tapestry album was Carol King. You know, wow. she had to go to the bathroom too. Yeah. So we're like gawking because <laughs> both of us are such fans, you know, and, I, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. it's like magic. So, you know, yeah. And she, she was a worthy icon, man. She, oh, she yeah. was awesome. still is. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, women like you were paving the way for the young ladies who came in country, you know, after you, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, so you have, um, you have several charts for uh, charted hits from the eighties until I met you was number one. Right. Uh, she thinks she'll marry, which was one of my favorites, by the way. Yeah. Girls ride horses yeah, I like too. too. Oh, I'm yeah. glad you like that one. That's one I wrote. Yes. And I <laughs> did not know that I'll be your baby tonight, which I liked too, was a um, Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan song. No, neither did I. And that was a number five hit for you as well. So you right. have you have that many hits in the top ten back then. And it had I to did. Be, it had from to be just strange. the first two albums. Yeah. I mean, did did fame follow you? Because you were married, right, at that time. Yeah. And I mean, I was on People Magazine. I, you know, I was uh, uh, listed besides Lyle Lovett as the act, you know, act to watch for this year, acts to watch for this year and all that. And uh, and I was on, you know, Austin City Limits uh, yeah. with him. And I was I just felt like it would go on forever because that's what people were telling me. And that's the, the you know, I, I did a, a 
a show where I opened for George Strait in in a stadium in in Texas, and you know, I think it was San Antonio. Show, but that was the last time I got to open for George Strait. So it's not just about it's way more. You know, the the reason to do things. Uh, one one reason was I you know my label wasn't paying enough to the George Strait people so that they could promote his show because that's what it's about. It's about the headliner. Yeah, right. and my little boutique label didn't have the money that CBS did and all that. Oh, so there's so much, you know, you have to, what I tell people is, and, and, and that's part of the reason was that, that very instance, you've got to know how good you are without somebody else telling you. And with even with, even without, you know, the, the business giving you the accolades, because if you don't, you're at the whim of the marketplace instead of being able to direct your own ship, you know, and, and your own inner credibility. So you've got to both do the art really well and the business really well. Uh, you've got to, got to separate them and then do them both really well. And so, uh, you know, that way, that's much, that's much safer for you and much more, in, in, you know, fulfilling for you. And you're not at the whim of, of somebody else's opinion. Did you have a vocal coach? Did, did they provide that? Vocal coach? Did they provide that? No, but they didn't provide it. But I certainly did have a vocal coach. And the re and the reason was uh, I had lost an octave and a half of my range from an endotracheal tube back in Memphis when my son was born. So it took me two years to get well by the time I moved to Nashville. I was still having vocal trouble because I was, you know, doing some things I know now. I was guarding and all that. So what I did was I, you know, found out from the other top uh, session singers of the, that they were, that they were taking from this particular coach named Gerald Arthur. So I got with Gerald Arthur who totally was, he and my nutritional woman were both totally responsible for me getting it all back and then some. And uh, so Gerald Arthur, yeah, I used to go to him at eight 30 in the morning for 30 minutes at a time. I was frequently late, <laughs> but, uh, but he helped me so much that two years after taking from him, instead of being, you know, really always having vocal trouble and trying to get this, this, this uh, background vocal and jingle career going again, which I did to two years, uh, uh, let's see, two years, uh, two or three years after I started working with him, I had a number one record. So assigned artist with a number one record. So I know the value of vocal training. It, okay? it is very important. And and going along with that, so you played guitar and sang. There's a video. Remember, I asked you a question on your Facebook page about the video because you have all these televisions in the background and you're singing uh, yes. one of your hits. And um, and I that asked, was were they Pam real? Thomas. That was written by Pam Thomas. It's called Going to Work. Yeah. from from way back from uh, session singing you know before she became an artist herself so we go way back and then uh i've, I've become her vocal coach when she was uh, having an illness and it caused vocal trouble and uh so i got to work with her a, a couple years ago i guess uh again and it was like we you know we we we've gone 
around the block many times in different ways with each other. And she, she's just become a dear friend. Now, you've spoken with Bree, what was her last name? Bree Noble. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to I want to talk to that because um, we're in the guitar community. It's a predominantly male community. And yeah. I want to get your take on women, not only on guitar, but women in the in the business in general. There's obviously some glass ceilings. There's some things that still need oh, to yeah. be broken down. What do you say to women that are that are out there doing this on a daily basis? You know, I would just say, be who you are. You've got, and that's what I tell everybody. You know what? In the arts, being commercially successful is always iffy. Okay, nobody can guarantee that, no matter how good you are. So I say to everybody, take reality, whatever the market forces are of the moment. You know, reality, and in the case of women, it's that guys tend to have more are seen as more in our place, and especially in country. Uh, but so what? And what, what I would say is take the reality, uh, deal with it in your mind, and then dream with your feet on the ground, but spread your wings and just do it in spite of it. And in my era, of course, it was Katie Oslin. She was, you know, she was 40, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> that old. was not- <laughs> that was that was not going on back then, okay? Yeah. And she was like, "Hey, what's the famous last words of a southerner? Hey, y'all, watch this." <laughs> Hold my and beer. So I think that's that's what exactly that's what she, I think that's what all artists in all the fields of art have to do. Just follow your calling. Don't starve. Have a day job until you find your multiple streams of income so that you're not at anybody's, you don't, you're not desperate. Right. There's you're no not, reason for desperation. Right. Yeah. No, not no at the whim. When, right. you, when you toured, you talked a little bit about your label. Um, and back then the label was the label paying for the tour. No, uh, the label sometimes like, I think they might've put up $3,000 so that I could open for George Strait. Uh, but that was so that, you know, that, that would, they pay for you being able to be exposed to a bigger audience. Right. But because it was a boutique label with not that much money and didn't have all that much money behind it, like the, the bigger major labels did, they had to pick and choose, you know, what, uh, what shows they, they supported. So I didn't have much tour support. And uh, so I had to charge a little bit, you know, more. Uh, and that made it uh, difficult. It was always an, an uphill battle. But then again, it was a boutique label. Um, I had been passed over by all the rest of the, of the major labels. Tommy West went to them one time with Garth Brooks. I think they passed over him three or four times. I know it was at least two. But all, everyone passed on Garth Brooks multiple times. Yeah. And like then Garth finally, Brooks, didn't he like he was ready, getting ready to leave, right? He was going to quit and leave Nashville. Well, I think that was Alan Jackson. <clears throat> oh, I think that was Alan Jackson. He was at the airport and somebody talked him into staying. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the thing is there, if you make it big, you're going to have that story. Okay. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I say dream with your feet on the ground and your wings spread, you know. And with a with some kind of a team of people behind you, even if it's just a really good friend who believes in you and, ha- and can 
support your, your, you know, you, but you also have to know what your abilities are. You know, have to know what the bottlenecks are and the realities of the market. That way, if, if you get a no, you understand why the no happened and you just keep going until you get a yes. That had to be hard. What was your management like at that time? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I had a pretty much a crook for a manager. Okay. How so surprising. we won't name him. That, that sounds about normal. He's passed. Yeah. Yes. All the things, the cautionary tales that I could tell you, but, uh, uh, you know, I I made more more money went into my band than me, uh, and that was because I chose to do that. So uh, my I always pretty much lost money until I got a really good manager. Uh, but it, it, at that point, when I got my good manager named Jim Recor, he was awesome. He used to work with uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac. But he didn't have, you know, the country. He had more of the pop credits than the country credits. So right. it was just hard right. to break into the field. And by that time, I was in my 30s. And really, the, the, the new, the really young, uh, new Faith Hill people and all that started. It, it was a wave that washed over us. And then my label folded. So it was a confluence of the perfect storm for me to not be an artist anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, now I'm grateful. At the time, I cried so hard, I lost three weeks of my life because oh. uh, I didn't know why. You know, and, th- and you know, if you think about it, you get up there, you, you, so you win the voice. So you uh, get a record deal and you have a hit and you're, you're late teens or early 20s. And then all of a sudden, the market forces say, okay, we're done with you. So then you've got to know what to do with your own success. Right. Uh, and, and, and with the inevitable, you know, way the, the hill, you know, you climb the hill and then the next thing that happens, there's a dip. So you've got to know how to survive, not only your own failures, but your own success. Right. And keep making music. That's gotta be, it, it's gotta be heartbreaking at that point. When you, <clears throat> you had a um, song that you wrote for your husband, right? A gentleman. Oh yeah. No, it's my, that was for my son. Oh, for your son. For our son, Peter. Uh huh. That was, that was a very pretty song. I like that song. I just listened to it yesterday. Believe it or not. Oh yeah. Yeah. The heart of a gentleman. Yeah. That I, that, Yes, it was for my son, and it 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 was my wish for my son, and it became quite true. He's quite the gentleman today. That's awesome. That's, That's very cool. awesome. So, <clears throat> um, I'm going to continue with my. Uh, I I pre wrote all these questions, so okay. that way I didn't stumble over myself and wonder what I, I was do, going I to do. I did the same thing for my blog. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the studio. How has recording in the studio changed over the years well of course the big thing is the digital digitalization of this of the uh, uh of the uh, of the tracks and the and the vocals and all of the things that you can do which became became a bit of a double-edged sword with the signal instead of analog you know when you went di- digital then you could move stuff around 
instead of cut your fingers off trying to splice those you know pieces of tape. <laughs> you know, for those who don't know about that, uh, I yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If people if, if they wanted to edit analog tape, of course they had to take a razor blade, splice it, and put it together very artfully. And they, most engineers have scars. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Tips of our fingers have little. Can't see it, yeah. but got little right. cuts in there. Have a history, right? In in the fingerprint, right? But so now we can move uh, this the the signal so that you can move it to make it fall on a different beat or be on a different pitch. So the tuner is big, uh, and the the tuner and the ability to move the groove, you know, so that you're in it. <laughs> okay. So, and that makes people lazy and it also sometimes can be overdone and make uh, what should sound more like a moment sound like EDM or electronic dance music. Yeah. And, that's uh, exactly what we were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, in our, in our first episode, we kind of talked about the, uh, the digitization of music and how, um, it has really turned what used to be a performing art into a programming art. Um, right. And it, at least in my my opinion, it's more like a, a visual art at that point because it's something well planned out and laid out that you can adjust and uh, go back over and fix and whatnot. Um, so you, do you use any of that stuff? I mean, are you are you messing with arrangements in the studio or are you using any auto-tune? You're probably Absolutely. not, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. Here's why. Here's why. You know, I feel like it's it's all about how you use your tools. Mm. Okay, I know right now of a great studio, and it just I mean, awesome as far as the gear and the look, and I actually recorded in it. It the mix came out so badly that I had to take it to somebody else in another studio right. and have it mixed. It was horrible. The sound was horrible. That's because they didn't know how to use their tools. Yeah, I yeah. work in a studio right now that that really is um, pretty. Uh, uh, it, it's just a little 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 hole in the wall kind of studio. Yeah, yeah. But it is where I did my last album, and it's fantastic. I mean, mm -hmm. the guy knows how to use the buttons and levers and all the tools. He's got just what he needs, uh, and maybe a little bit more. But he doesn't have all the bells and whistles of every, you know, of this huge studio I'm thinking about. That's because he knows how to use his tools. And when he and I, I do a lot of production. Still, I, I either produce tracks and or I'm a vocal producer with other producers mm -hmm. uh, because my specialty, of course, is producing vocals. And, and I, but I, me, my husband and I produced our album in 2015, and we had to decide: okay, are we going to use? Uh, are we going to use a little auto tune? And I do for two reasons. And and for me, it was you know back in the day there was no auto tune. You had to get it right. right. But there's two things that it can help with. Number number one, time. It's studio time. It it helps not have to uh, cost quite as much. And it, it it can also help with with stress. And it can it can redeem an incredible vocal moment where you might have been just a little off. But, the listening public, their ear has gotten used to perfection. And so what you want to do is be just enough off to where it sounds real, but it doesn't distract from that mm -hmm. performance. So you need an artist as an engineer, the engineer's mm -hmm. ear. Uh, that's why I love to record 
with some maybe new engineers that, you know, the, the young coming right out of Belmont, they know how to get that digital thing and they know how to punch in really fast and all this kind of stuff, but don't give it to them to mix. (laughs) And and don't give it to them either to tune, you know, give me, give me an ear. Uh, So, so the best of both worlds is the engineer I have right now that I'm using. Uh, His name is Nathan Smith. He's got old ears and he's got, you know, really uh, fast uh, digital ability because he's done it so much in the last few years. So I've got the best of both worlds. So that's what you want to look for. But again, it just goes back to use your tools for the performance to get that magical performance instead of to use your tools the, the best you can. You know, if it's totally on in the groove, if the vocal is totally in the groove, it's not R&B. It's not going to be laid back. It's not going to have those uh, or maybe a little bit of, uh, ahead of the beat even, you know, for some like cer- certain types of genres, like I'd see, even say Western Swing sometimes mm-hmm. uh, or Bluegrass. It's a little bit more like right on it. So you have to be true to the genre about where the pitch is and where you're fitting the vocal in the group. Right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I want to take away from what you just said. The most important thing you said was when you were fixing it, it wasn't right there you were fixing the pitch so it's a little bit off but not so much off that it's leaving the listener going oh that's terrible right in fact only fix what needs fixing right Mm -hmm. let the rest of it be slightly imperfect thanks for tuning in folks we um did a full hour with judy so we'll be presenting the other 30 minutes in the next podcast Um, and I'm going to bookend this podcast with the song that she covered by Bob Dylan. I gave him a number five song on the charts in the eighties. Thanks for tuning in. And again, this is the practical guitarist podcast for all people who eat, drink, sleep, guitar. Close your eyes, close the door, you don't have to worry.